I felt the weight of his cross and came to better understand the betrayal he suffered. But I didn't die. It felt like I might, but I didn't. Sadly, more often than not, the pain was perpetrated by fellow believers. In Psalm 55, we can feel King David's pain caused by that same kind of betrayal. In verses 12 to 14, it says this, and it'll be up on the screen. It's not, it is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. Chuck Swindle says this, it is the response to adversity that becomes the stuff of greatness. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't think I'm great by any measure. But I continue to seek out and learn from the best, the Holy Spirit. In 2005, there was a movie released called The End of the Spear. Anyone see that? Ooh, you're in for a treat. It is the story of five missionaries that went with their families deep into the Amazon jungle in Ecuador. They had been called by God to find, serve, and evangelize the Waudani tribe, also known as the Alka Indians. The Alka were fierce warriors dangling on the edge of extinction. They were murdering one another at a senseless rate. All five missionaries picked up their crosses, and they were eventually speared to death by those they had come to serve, betrayed to the other most. Nathan Saint was one of the five, which the story is centered around. His most famous statement is this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the word of God. That's good advice. More about this later. But here's Pastor Sharon's translation, just in case you wondered. To serve God wholeheartedly and unreservedly is the only acceptable response to the great gift of freedom given through the cross of Christ, even if it costs you everything. <laughs> that was the painful part. Even if it costs you everything, this is the God-honoring path of enjoying fullness through serving. This morning, we will be exploring how 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is still as relevant today as it was when Paul authored it. I'm going to break it down into some smaller portions. Uh, these will be about understanding that serving involves 
spiritual warfare. Serving involves spiritual authority, and serving involves spiritual measuring. So now, we're going to dig in and look first at how serving involves spiritual warfare. So 2 Corinthians 10, 1 to 6, if you want to turn there, we'll begin. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. That's worth measuring or writing down, sorry. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. <laughs> wow, what a power-packed paragraph. So what's Paul talking about? He's reminding us that we, as children of God, are in a battle. We're in a battle. This spiritual concept has largely slipped into the church archives. It's sad. And it sits there gathering dust. There's a reason for that. We have strayed from the word and forgotten the first rule of war. Know your enemy. Our enemy is Satan. Our enemy is Satan, the father of all lies. Sadly, if we listen to a lie long enough, we will begin to believe it. Satan would love nothing better. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. Satan would love nothing better than to convince us he doesn't exist at all. Why? Because if we believe that, then we will also discount, discredit, and discard the truth that spiritual warfare is real and dangerous, as dangerous today as it always has been. In the latter part of my years in financial planning, I had a client falsely accuse me. Worse still, she called a head office with her allegations. So I got a call, and they said, there's going to be an investigation, and uh, if you're found guilty, you could lose your license. That would have been my business up in smoke. 
Now, I could have picked up the worldly weapons of retaliation and anger. I could have done that. I did not. I did not. I went straight to God in prayer, which is one of the most powerful spiritual weapons that we have. And when I found peace, I left it with him. The very next morning, my regional manager called me to say that not only had the complaint been withdrawn, but she admitted there was no truth to it at all. This client was not my enemy. Her father was, the father of all lies. And I actually got to share Christ a wee bit with my region manager. He says, I don't get it. How did this happen? I said, well, I was praying. I don't know what you were doing. I doubt there is any other apostle that understands spiritual warfare better than Paul. His life was no better roses. He's been beaten, caned, flogged, shipwrecked, imprisoned, and the list goes on. Paul is the poster boy for the fact that serving God involves spiritual warfare, and yet he joyfully lives to serve Christ regardless. Does anyone here know about the author Frank Peretti? Yes. <laughs> okay, so you got to get the movie Forget about the book. He is a pastor turned writer. And in 1986, his first novel was published, This Present Darkness, followed by Piercing the Darkness in 1988. Both were written about a small town and the spiritual warfare raging all around them in the heavenly realms. Peretti gives a surprising and scriptural rendition of what is likely happening in the unseen world. These books changed my perspective and my prayer life. Ephesians 6, 10 to 12 lays it all out for us. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can make your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In our passage from 2 Corinthians, Paul is forced to face a set of enemies, the so-called super-apostles, to defend his ministry. He exposes their worldly weapons of natural eloquence, fleshly wisdom, carnal reason, cunning, craftiness, dishonesty, and vanity. They brought out all the big guns. They attack his lack of eloquence in speech and looks. 
not a bit of love in these people. Paul's response was to remind his flock that they are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. This tug of war has nothing to do with Christ or the gospel, but is a lie that has slithered into their midst and set itself up against the knowledge of God. Paul's call to war is first and foremost that they must take their thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Did you know that sin starts in the mind before it goes straight to the heart? It starts here when we don't take those thoughts captive. By listening to these evil upstarts, the Corinthians have not remained obedient to Christ or his commands. When thoughts come our way or someone is trying to lead us astray, we must discern if they are promoting our journey toward Christ or if they are dragging us into carnal distraction. The only cure for systemic evil is full obedience to God. That's it. It's that simple. And it begins with us. We can have the same fullness through serving as Paul by understanding that it will involve spiritual warfare. But there's more. So let's turn now to uh, verses 7 11, 2 11 in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of the world. For, we, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, he's unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that when we, that we are in our letters 
when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. Paul is a humble leader of unswerving faith and love. The ones who are attacking him probably don't even know him. They're trying to strengthen their own position and weaken his. This is the same tactic that Satan used against Eve. And she fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. So this should reveal to us who these people are really serving. How do I know this? Because neither their words nor their actions line up with Scripture. They are full of pride, and God opposes the proud. And they are verbally attacking Paul, who just like them is made in God's image. And I could go on. Satan's methods do not change. Talk is cheap. Divine power and authority is given to those like Paul who live humbly and obediently. His attackers have no God-given authority. One of the very best illustrations for spiritual authority is found in Acts 19, 13 to 16. I love this one. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, hmm, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. This pagan priest was way, way out of his league. All authority comes from God and nowhere else. Nowhere else. Because the earth is his and everything in it. Simple. The earth is his and everything in it. Something you should know about me. Okay, it's confession time. They say it's good for the soul. Something you should know about me is that I can't stand politics. Can't stand politics. Don't get me wrong. I do vote. But God already knows the results. Because he's sovereign. Romans 13, 1 and 2 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. 
So why do I not like politics? I will pray for my leaders, but I'd rather get poked in the eye with a stick than bother with politics. My goal is to be like Jesus. And guess what? He didn't get involved in politics either. Folks, when we choose Christ, we're no longer of this world. We're just passing through. I'm a citizen of heaven. Well, I care about what's going on in the politics here. I'll pray for them, but this is not my home. The Corinthians are a mess. There, I said it. They are a hot mess. They are badly in need of some spiritual adjustment. Instead of going and making disciples, they're joining in a coup against Paul. So Paul is expecting trouble when he arrives. But unlike his enemies, he has the God-given authority to get the work done. Whatever it takes. Paul is fiercely protective, and he's not amused that the Corinthians are being deceived. Many of us here know that we're called to go and make disciples that will in turn go and make disciples. Amen? It's pretty easy stuff. This command is found in Matthew's Gospel. In the same passage, Jesus says that all authority in heaven and on earth is his. And when we obey the call to make disciples, he will be with us until the end of the age. So this tells me that as we go and make disciples like Paul, then we go in the power and the authority of Christ Jesus. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. It's not my power, not my might, but by your spirit. Now, a word to the wise before we move on. The so-called super apostles, they're in for a rude wake-up call if they don't repent. You see, it's really not Paul they're opposing. It's God. Hebrews 13, 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. God calls us to obey those in authority over us for our good and his glory. Serving as God intended us to do will involve spiritual warfare and spiritual authority. Now we'll look at the third aspect of fullness through serving. Serving involves spiritual measuring. So let's go now to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 to 18. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some 
who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. Those are called the backslappers. They are not wise. We, however, will not boast to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's authority. But let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. God is perfect, and we are not. Hope that's not a newsflash for any of you. Therefore, we must only measure the truth by his standards. Amen? doesn't matter what the world says or what society's out there doing. Our standards are God's standards. So let's be honest. Have you ever run into one of those people who think they're all that in a bag of chips? They wear the latest fashions. They get a smoking hot car. And they seem to know everything about everything. Don't you find them just a teensy bit annoying? I do. So I don't get it. What's up with the Corinthians? Why are they hanging on every word that these wolves in sheep's clothing are saying? No matter how you look at it, they're drinking the Kool-Aid. I'll let you in on a little secret about human nature that I learned after 23 years in business. Everyone wants to ride on the coattails of enthusiasm. The Corinthians have fallen into one of Satan's oldest traps. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. I'm convinced that at least a few of these Corinthian believers were struggling with discontentment, and that made them ripe for the picking. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Fun fact, lions always seek out the weakest prey. All the enemy must do is find those weakest in the church and send in his agents of deception. Bit by bit, these liars will seek to tear down the leader and create doubt about their credentials. The results, the sheep scatter and they become easy prey. Therefore, we must use spiritual measuring. And in, incidentally, how do we stay strong? 
you stay as close to the word as you can. Read it as often as you can. Because that's how we stay close to God. And then when we pray, that brings us close to God. There's your strength right there. There's nothing in this world that can make you stronger than that. Scripture is our spiritual measure of truth and deception. We must never judge ourselves or others according to the world's standards. When the prophet Samuel went to Jesse to anoint one of his sons as the new king, God made it very clear that he would be the one doing the choosing, not Samuel. So long story short, God chose David, the youngest and smallest of Jesse's eight sons. If the choice had been Jesse's, he probably would have picked one of the older, bigger boys. God, however, looks past the outward appearances into our hearts. And he knew that the day would come when the bigger lads would be cowering in their tents while David, the pipsqueak with the heart of a lion, ran straight toward a nine-foot blaspheming giant and killed him with nothing but righteous rage and a sling and a stone. You know, I stood on that field when I was in Israel. I did not bring this to throw you if you fell at you if you fell asleep. This is actually a stone from the field where David killed Goliath. And Dr. Lennox assured me that this is probably about the size of the stone. I mean, it couldn't have been a little pebble because it wouldn't have done anything. But that's what David buried in the forehead of a giant. By studying scripture, praying, and obeying God, we will be able to identify and reject false worldly measurement and embrace spiritual measurement. I know that some of what I've said can be a lot to swallow, but my call as a pastor is clearly laid out in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. It'll be up there. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows 
and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. If we just do this, if we just do this, we won't be in danger of falling off the rails like the Corinthians. You know, we're hardwired to worship and serve God. Did you realize that? Why did I use the term hardwired? I did that because it means permanently connected or ingrained. Permanently connected. When God was knitting us together, he added worship and serving into the mix. He won't cut the wires, and neither should we. So what eventually happened in the movie, End of the Spear? Spoiler alert, if you don't want to hear how the story finishes, cover your ears, okay? Nate's children and wife could have allowed their grief to drive them out of Ecuador, but they didn't. They chose to stay with the other wives and finish the work their husbands had begun. The Indian that speared Stephen's father and Stephen were both tortured by the memory of what had happened. The day finally came when Stephen met his father's murderer. The man put the sharp end of the spear on his own heart and told Stephen that he had every right to kill him because of what he'd done. Stephen chose to forgive over getting even. This riveting scene, plus the humble service of the missionary wives and their children, resulted in the Alka Indians accepting Christ's sacrifice for them. And they still serve Christ to this day. I'll leave you with this. Who we are shapes what we do. So let's seek with all of our hearts to serve and worship God, giving him an all-access pass to our time, treasure, and talent. This is the key to having fullness through serving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for trusting us to serve you as you have called us to do, to go and make disciples that make disciples. It is such a privilege to be your servant and to work with you and watch miracles happen. It's just amazing. So help us, God, as we walk out of this place, not to forget what you've said to us today, but to look for opportunities to serve and worship you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Mm -hmm.